0: Welcome to Kingdom Keys, the official pregame podcast for Arrowhead Pride. I'm Nick Schwartz with Bryce Carter, Maurice Elston, and Nate Christensen. This is the pregame show every single week for Chiefs games, but because we don't have a Chiefs game for a couple more days, this is going to serve as more of a season preview. Looking to our big questions for the Chiefs this year, and we'll do a little bit of a preview for the Lions game. But guys... I feel like it would be disingenuous to start the first episode of the year without talking about the saga that has reigned supreme over the Chiefs all off season, which is Chris Jones. And I'll be honest with you guys. If you would have told me at the beginning of the summer that this was going to bleed into the first week of the NFL season, I, I would have thought something was wrong and it is wrong, but this has, has lasted much, much longer than I think a lot of us anticipated on Tuesday The Chiefs placed Chris Jones on the reserve did not report list. That's more of a salary function. It's not going to count towards the season. If he's not on the active roster by Thursday, when the Chiefs play the Lions, he's going to lose one week's salary. Now, Brett Veach talked earlier this week. He said that they have been in more communication lately, maybe giving you a little bit of optimism that he's going to be ready for this first game against the Lions. But I want to start this episode with just a simple question for everybody, and I want everybody to answer it. How many games will Chris Jones play with the Chiefs this year? Uh, I'll go first. This is really complicated because to
1: me, it's either he reports week eight or week one. I don't think it's going to be a situation where he reports like week four randomly, right? So it's either he's actually going to hold out to the week eight like he's threatened online or else he's going to be there next week. I will note, uh, shout out our own like John Dixon. He wrote about kind of what this uh, did not report list kind of means. The chiefs can request a two week roster exemption, even if Jones reports in order to get him more time into like the building to get in better shape. I'm going to, as crazy as this is, as much as I don't want to believe this, I think he's going to show up week eight. I don't think this is getting resolved soon. Uh, I know Brett Veach mentioned those comments yesterday, but I, I'm not believing him. I think that every, you know, all the sources like James Palmer have said, there's been no communication the past few days. I, I, I think he's going to go into the season like this. I don't think there has been communication and I, I don't think it's smart, but I think he's clearly thinking that if he holds on as long as possible to week eight, the chiefs defense will struggle and he'll gain a little more leverage that way. I don't think it's right, but clearly that's what he believes. So what would that be? Nine games. So I'm, I'm going to go nine games. I, I can't believe I'm saying that,
0: but I'm. that's where I'm at at this point. Okay. That's a, that's a scary proposition to think about this chiefs defense without Chris Jones, for half a season, Maurice, do you have any more optimism than Nate does?
2: Yes, yes, yes. I'm I'm always leaning towards the optimistic side. I'm, I'm really hoping that something gets done, and that he's in here week one. um I think it's going to have to do a little give and take on both sides. I think the Chiefs are going to have to give a little bit more than what they probably want to give. But I don't think they're going to reach that highest number is what Jones wants. Um, so I think if both parties give or take, because I do believe that Chris Jones wants to be here in Kansas City. And I also think that the Chiefs obviously want him here in Kansas City. So I think because both parties are there, that I ho- I'm hoping they find a way to figure this out.
0: Price, be the
3: be the decider here. We've got optimism. We've got pessimism. Where are you at? Well, I guess I will just fill the glass to the middle, <laughs> not half full, not half empty. I think that you probably play 16 weeks. I think that this week he's going to come in at the last possible second, not really be in shape enough to play a game. They might dress him and maybe put, play him like 10 snaps. So I guess I could hedge and say 17. But I think truly getting true Chris Jones, probably 16 games. Ultimately, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense for him to start missing games. It's been well documented now that his tag number is going to be lowered by him missing games. All this is building up to Chris Jones hitting free agency next year. He's either like he's, his value is at a peak right now. He is he's not going to have another year where he wins the Super Bowl is, you know, top three in defensive player of the year voting has 15 and a half sacks and shows up in the biggest game of the year in Arrowhead the way that he did. It's just not possible. And even then, he would be another year older. So at this point, he's either going to recruit his value being at the high that is going to be right now, which means signing with the Chiefs, because there's basically no one who can trade for him, or he's going to come in and try to hit free agency when he's 30. Personally, I think the first idea is a little bit better because you're probably getting your maximum value. But if he wants to test free agency at age 30, probably after a little bit worse of a year, he can do that. But I'll go 16. So when it came out, I think it was at the beginning of the offseason
0: that he wanted to be the second highest paid defensive tackle in the NFL. There was such a massive gap between what Aaron Donald was getting paid and at the time what the second highest paid D tackle was getting paid that it, it didn't really provide a ton of clarity on the situation because you could look at 24 million and say, OK, well, then he wants twenty million. But Aaron Donald's up there making close to $32 million a year. And the guaranteed money is almost $30 million more on his contract than it was on the next closest. I feel like a lot of people maybe initially took that as optimism to say, okay, there's a lot of room to get this done. But of course, as you mentioned, Bryce, his value is at an all-time high. He knows that. And I'm sure he's thinking to himself, no, when I said second highest paid, I didn't mean barely more than number two. I meant barely less the number one. So if this deal does get done, whether it's this week, next week, eight weeks from now, what do you guys think that final number looks like for Chris Jones? Um,
1: if there is a deal that gets done with the Chiefs, and I, I'm not super optimistic on that happening, I'm going to guess it'd be a lot closer to Aaron Donald than it is and Williams, because I guess unless Jones balks, which is entirely possible, um, I think next year he easily walks into free agency and gets more than Quinton Williams. He might not get Aaron Donald in free agency. I think that would be, that's just a, that's almost like an outlier at this point. And Donald's an outlier player, so it makes sense. But he's easily exceeding Quinton Williams. I think he gets at least like five offers for that almost immediately. I'm going to say if the Chiefs agree to a deal, it's going to be somewhere around like the $27, $28 million a year mark, Uh, a little bit less than Donald, but still kind of in that upper tier. Guarantees, I don't know exactly. It just depends on the years. It, it's going to be closer to Aaron Donald at 95, maybe like 80-ish. But I think that those two will be in the middle. But I, I think it's going to be closer to Aaron Donald and Quinn and Williams,
2: essentially. Yeah, I kind of lean towards the same thing. I'm thinking um, – I was thinking that the, the, to me, and the milk, I think the, I think the Chiefs probably are around the 27 mark right now. You know, nothing factual to say there, but I think they probably have something around the 27 mark out there. Um, I'm thinking more around the twenty nine. With, with some type of in the, the guarantee around in the '80s, like Nate said, I think that'll kind of be the middle ground that puts him in a well enough more of a one B situation than a two. You know, I think that's kind of what he, what he wants to consider, like John, like like Aaron Donald one A and him one B instead of like that clear two. That's how close he wants it, and I think the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs can get him there and will get him there.
0: And the tough part about that is that based off his production a year ago. You could argue he is the best defensive tackle in football, and that's how the market dictates the value of guys like these. Unfortunately, you look at the contract that the Rams gave Aaron Donald and the season he's coming off of, which is one of the worst we've seen from him. You do start to wonder, okay, was that a bad deal by the Rams? Were they paying him for the production he'd given them the previous five, six years? Or were they paying him for what he's about to do? And it's important to note, too, Aaron Donald's, I think, two years, two full years older than Chris Jones is. So when you look at like what this player can be worth to your franchise, I feel like he's got a pretty strong case to be made for getting close to that number just based off what the market dictates his value is.
3: Yeah, and I think you know we were talking about just what the Aaron Donald contract has done to the market. It's pretty reminiscent of what happened this offseason with Deshaun Watson's contract and Lamar Jackson. Um, now obviously there's a much different set of situations around Deshaun Watson that made the Lamar Jackson situation complicated, but really the, the Ravens almost basically had to tell Lamar, you know what, you try out to go and go and get it. And they did that by, you know, putting that transition tag on him. It didn't end up coming to fruition and he ended up coming home and getting his deal, but it was almost kind of a, you think you can go get it, go get it. And I, and I do wonder if at some point we hear something that the Chiefs have given Chris Jones and his agent permission to seek a trade. It'd be really late in the year right now, but I maybe that's what needs to happen here, is that he needs to see like what other teams are willing to give up for him, compensation-wise and contract-wise, to realize that he's probably going to get his final and best offer here in Kansas City. I think, personally, it's probably coming down more to the guaranteed rather than it is the APY. This is kind of uncharted water for... Uh, Brett Veach, basically the only player that he's given this type of money to and not even this type of money because it's we saw today with an extension for TJ Hawkinson that Travis Kelsey, he's pretty cheap for the production he brings. And he's about the only player that's in his 30s that the Chiefs have played. They do not pay those type of guys. So my guess is that the Chiefs are probably wanting to get out of this deal in two, maybe three years at the most, right, where they can have an easy out. And I'm suspicion that Chris Jones with that total guarantee That's probably where the hangup is. So if if it's going to happen, you know, like we said, in that 27, 28 year or 27, 28 per year. And that total guarantee, I think, is going to what it's going to come down to is 60, is it 70? There's almost 30 million dollars in gap between what Quinn and Williams got and what Aaron Donald has. That is enormous. That's crazy. So somewhere in there, there's a lot of room for a great, you know, there's a lot of great space there. So just like we said with the Deshaun Watson contract, it's just It's totally reset that market. It's almost like Brett Veach has
0: a sign in his office that says, don't pay top of market deals to guys over the age of 29. That is the same age that Tyreek Hill was when he wanted the new deal. They let him walk. It's sort of an organizational philosophy. And I guess the caveat is Travis Kelsey. But as you mentioned, like it's easy to pay a tight end top of market money. It's one of the lowest paid positions in football. And you're getting wide receiver value with the way that Travis Kelsey produces before we move on really quick. I want to go around the horn, rapid fire, one through 10, Nate, Maurice price. How worried are you about this chiefs defense without Chris Jones? 10. Maurice. 7 I'll go six. Okay. I was figuring everybody was going to be between seven and 10. I think I'm closer to Nate. I'm probably around a nine. I just think you take a top 10 player in football off your defense. Like, I don't know how you replicate that production.
3: I I think the chiefs have told us a little bit of what they're going to do with what they've done in the past. And also a move that we can kind of transition into here where they traded for Neil Farrell. Um, the Chiefs had a little span there in 2019 where Chris Jones set out several games with a calf injury and they really kind of went in a different path. They've had this penetrating pass rush specialist from the interior for a long time. That's kind of a superpower that a lot of teams don't have. Um, A lot of teams, they get their pass rush from the edge. I suspicion that what the path is here with your Keandre Coburn, your Derek Naughty, God help us uh, Neil Farrell and some of the other players that they have in the interior. They're probably going to try to be as solid as they can in the interior against the run maintain those gaps and then we've seen what that spagnolo can really dial up a blitz we can see that they've got a couple of linebackers on the roster as well who are pretty good as rushers i think that the the amount of stunts and games they're playing on the defensive line will increase as well i have confidence them be able to get pass rush at times now the ultimate question though is if they have to generate pass rush via blitz or bringing other players what's that going to do to their coverage can that hold up it's, it's kind of a sliding scale. If, they, if they're having to send extra guys, they got to be able to hold up in coverage. So I'm not as concerned because I think that they can get pass rush in other ways, but it's not as great as it is rushing four and covering. And that's, that's what every defensive coordinator wants to do. All right, that'll be a good transition because since we don't have a game to look
0: at, we all wanted to talk about the one big question that we each have for this Chiefs team heading into this season. And you kind of touched on it there, Price, but I'll I'll go back to you. What is the big question you have facing
3: the 2023 Kansas City Chiefs? Well, one question I really have is that Brett Veach has made a concerted effort to build this roster with strong linebacker play. They've invested three day two picks at the position, and then this year they made a reasonable investment into another linebacker with Drew Tranquil. And then even on Tuesday, when the rosters were finalized, the Chiefs are keeping six linebackers. Now, we can assume that Jack Cochran and Cam Jones, those guys are probably going to profile mostly as special teams players. We know that Dave Tobe has a strong influence on this roster. But particularly with Chris Jones being absent this roster, but also you've lost Colin Saunders, you've lost Carlos Dunlap, and you've lost Frank Clark. All those guys factored a lot into the pass rush ability of this team what are the chiefs going to do with all these linebackers and how are they going to utilize them? Um, I think a lot of us were really excited when drew Tranquil was brought in because it it felt like the missing piece to the infinity gauntlet that the chiefs have at linebacker where you've got Nick Bolton, who is just down a solid three down guy who is able to play really good when he's running forward, doesn't have a blocker on him and is kind of the captain of the defense. You've got Willie Gay, who's a freak athlete never really come through with all the coverage skills that we want, but he, he can really generate some splash plays and then you've got Leo Chanel, who is a hammer looking for a nail. But Drew Tranquil is that coverage type of guy. So far in the preseason, Drew Tranquil has just looked like the backup Mike Linebacker. Is he going to be the dimebacker? Is he going to be the guy that they put on the field when they're in you know third and third and 12, third and 13? Or is he going to just mix in here and there? I, I can see it both ways where... Tranquil kind of feels like a guy that Spags would have a hard time quitting. Like <laughs> Spags loves those good old crafty, be in the right place type of guys. I mean, you, if you squint, he kind of looks like Dan Swartz and even. So he's even wearing 23, which feels like a safety number. How, how are they going to use them? And then Leo Chanel, he's a, a player that a lot of us were really high out of, on coming out of Wisconsin. Freak athlete, really strong. We saw him come on here at the end of the year. How are they going to utilize him? I feel like there is a lot of strength in this position, but how are they going to take advantage of that? Um, The chiefs last year only played 124 snaps with three linebackers on the field. That's about 10% of the defensive snaps that they played. And even then they were giving up essentially poor production to the offense. They were giving up 0.18 EPA. So that's struggling, right? The offense, basically every time the chiefs put three linebackers on the field, offenses were generating 0.18 PPA. EPA, which is one of their worst, uh, for their alignment. So there, there's some questions that need to be answered there. And otherwise, what is the investment for, you know, I know drew tranquil isn't signed for a massive deal, but also if you're going to invest real free agency money into them, I would like to see it to come to fruition because I definitely think some stronger coverage in that area would be a benefit to a team that's going to struggle with pass rush.
0: What about you, Nate? Are you centering your big question for the chiefs this year around the pass rush? Well, I mean, you almost have to,
1: right? I mean, at least for the first eight weeks of the year, if, or six to eight weeks, however long, if Chris Jones, even if Chris Jones reports, it's not going to be great immediately, right? Just because he's not in great football shape, but no Charles Menehu, Felix Anaduki Uzama as a rookie, Tershawn Wharton off an injury. They just, they don't have a lot of great options there right now. So Yeah. I kind of wrote about this. It hasn't been released for Arrowhead Pride last night, but like the Chiefs are just going to have to like get really creative with some of their blitzes. One thing I'd talk about the linebackers, I think we're going to see Leo Chanel rush more this year cuz I think he almost has to. Like if you kind of think about it, like if Chris Jones and Charles Amenohu is not there, he's probably their third best pass rusher from the interior behind Wharton who again is, you know, coming off an injury and Mike Dana. After that, I think it might be Leo Chanel. So, you might see the Chiefs kind of employ some like 3-2-6 where they have, like, in their dime package, where they, you know, Chanel's ostensibly a fourth defensive lineman. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you have to be concerned about it immediately, because Jones attracts so much gravity with what he does on the interior, that like, now, without him, if you know, on limited-time basis, wherever, like, George Corloff is, uh, Felix, uh, Mike Dan, they're just gonna have to win more against tougher assignments, and yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't been great. We, the one thing is, like, Chris Jones has missed, like, eight games in seven years, which is I think very underrated about him. He's always very healthy. um So we really don't have like a large sample size of like what it looks like without him. One thing I was thinking was like, do you guys remember like when he played defensive end in 2021 and it just wasn't mm-hmm. working? And the Chiefs' <laughs> defense is like the worst of all time. Which like that wasn't the experiment. sole reason. Yeah, that wasn't the sole reason why. For sure, there was a lot of factors there. But like I, rem- I couldn't find the stats, but I remember how like the second they like put him back inside the chief defense became like good again. So that was kind of what I was kind of wondering if it'll look like early. I think this defense has more talent than that 2021 team did. That 2021 team had so many washed veterans. This team's a lot more younger, a lot more athletic, but yeah, I'm I'm concerned for sure.
0: That's so funny because I remember that experiment and they were talking about it during training camp and everybody kind of said, "I don't know, like is this is this really what you want to do?" And it was a disaster to start yeah. the season, but that's kind of the trend with Steve Spagnolo as the chiefs defensive coordinator, like regardless of the circumstances, I know this is maybe a bigger deal than some of the big questions facing the defense in years past, but almost every single year we see this defense start slow. Fans are concerned. Is this going to be one of the worst in the NFL? And then by the back half of the season, they slowly but surely improve and turn into at least a good enough defense to get the job done. So, Maurice, are you going to make it three for three,
2: sticking with the defense? I'm definitely going to make it three for three because it's kind of like what Price said earlier. My, my biggest question is, without Chris Jones being there, and then even if he does show up, I still have questions, it's going to be with the secondary. While, while I'm totally confident in Trent McDuffie and his cover skills, the health um, with a luxurious needs knee. So trying to figure out what's going on with his knee is, is a big question. Like they just saying it's a swollen knee. So I'm like, is it a swollen knee? Did he really mess it up? You know what's going on? And, you know, his health has been a concern kind of up and down the last few seasons of having luxurious need in there. So, and then behind him, you know, you think about a Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams, neither one have taken a large enough step forward for you know spagnolia to be able to make a decision like this is my third guy he's the guy so without them you know making that step forward where where they could determine i'm kind of got some questions like okay after mcduffie and sneed do we you know you got to have three defensive backs definitely corners that that can cover and then you you know the safety i'm 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 big on cook i hope i hope cook has i think he'll step in there and be able to to have a, a large year and then um Justin Reed, I think you'll get what you got out of him. Hopefully, you get the Justin Reed from latter of last season versus the, the beginning of last season. But I just got questions with no pass rush there. If we can't generate that pass rush to make the quarterback get to the ball, get, you know, get rid of the ball quickly, can our young cornerbacks, because this is still a very young group, how can they hold up um, with the quarterback having a little bit more time? So I just got questions around how our defensive backfield may look.
0: Yeah, what's crazy about that, that, secondary is you get four rookies last year who were playing meaningful roles. And while it's really awesome to get great productive rookie seasons, ultimately you determine the success of a draft class based off of how many of these guys do we want to give a second contract to? And right now, I mean, yeah, we think Trip McDuffie will be one of those guys, but the jury's kind of still out on everyone because you can't just have a flash in the pan rookie year, you have to string it together and you can't just be the same guy you were as a rookie. Like we expect Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams. We had no expectations for them last year, but now because they did so well, it's like, how are you going to build on that? Your second season?
3: And if, and if you look at corner play too, it, it, it is a year to year thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can be the, one of the best corners in the league. And then the next year you, you struggle to make a roster. Um, I mean, would it surprise any of us if Shamari Connor or Nick Jones, or Darius Rush, who was just claimed from the Colts out of South Carolina. Any one of those guys is a major contributor in the secondary throughout the year. I mean, I'd almost call for it. Joshua Williams has already beat out Jalen Watson at this point, And those guys kind of battled back and forth throughout the year. Um, I, I think the thing that makes me the most confident about the secondary is they have stockpiled a lot of young athletic bodies who fit a profile that Steve Spagnuolo has proven he can make work. I feel like with some of the parts here, unless they're just ravished by injuries, they have enough that they can make it work. What we just need need is, you know, not a situation where they are just getting abused. And and I feel like they've got enough bodies that they're not going to. Steve Spagnuolo treats
0: defensive backs, rookie backs, opposite of how Andy Reid typically treats rookie wide receivers. And I'm going to buck the trend here with my big question for this team. And I'm going to look at that wide receiver room. I think the biggest reason why the Chiefs have been able to not just get by, but ultimately thrive with a middle of the pack or even early in the season, you know, a bottom third defense in the NFL, because you're not talking about a good offense. You're talking about the best offense. And if this offense is going to do what it's always done under Patrick Mahomes and lift the defense up when they're struggling, they can't afford to be the fifth or sixth best offense. They have to be what they were last year, which is number one in points, number one in yards, number one in scoring percentage. This wide receiver room is the most unproven group that Patrick Mahomes has worked with. Even going into last year, you lose Tyreek, you get Juju Smith-Schuster. We had questions about the room, but with Juju, there was a little bit of stability that, hey, this guy's not going to be a flop. And he wasn't. Patrick Mahomes threw him the ball over a hundred times last year, would have had a thousand yards if he wouldn't have gotten injured in that Jacksonville game. You lose that. My big question is where is that production coming from? We can talk about roles and how guys are going to fit into the offense, but ultimately if you're going to score points. You need to move the ball. And I don't know, not to say that it won't happen, but I don't know who's going to be the reliable threats in that wide receiver room. You go into the offseason thinking, and you hear all this stuff at the end of last year, Brett Veach telling Louis Riddick, who relays it during that playoff game, that they think Kadarius Tony could be the number one next year. We haven't seen any of Kadarius Tony this summer, and based off of his track record, like I'm a little bit skeptical that we're going to see a full season out of him. We don't even know if he's going to suit up for week one against the Lions. Behind him, MVS, again, He's a reliable guy you know is going to get a ton of snaps. In terms of production, though, he's never really been that guy. After you get to those two dudes, it's a bunch of guys who are either brand new or who are unproven, and my big question is going to be, who's the one guy or the two guys who are going to step up and make a massive leap this year? I think the first guy that I'm personally looking at is Sky Moore. I know Justin Ross, Rasheed Rice, like they've gotten a lot of the hype this offseason, but Sky Moore who came in from Western Michigan trying to learn the most advanced and sophisticated offense in the NFL. Like there was always going to be a learning curve with him, but you talk to people or you listen to the coaches and the coordinators talk about him. He's doing all the right things, right? He's getting in the extra work. He's, they threw everything at him. He had to learn every single receiver position last year. And that's the first guy I look at and say, okay, Justin Ross, Rasheed Rice, they're new here. You've been in this system. You played a meaningful role last year. Can you take that leap that we commonly see wide receivers make in year two? I don't think he's ever going to be a a 1,000-yard, 1,200-yard receiver. If you can just be a chain mover, short to intermediate routes, picking up first downs, that slot receiver across the middle of the field, that's all this offense really needs you to do. But he's not the only one. Like Other guys are going to have to step up if this offense is going to maintain their status as being the number one unit in the league.
1: Yeah, Skymore interesting, right? I, I wrote a kind of looked did a deep dive into like what kind of year one to year two production looks like for wide receivers, and it's really interesting because Skymore had like two hundred fifty yards last year, twenty four catches. So I was kind of looking like, okay, if we look in guys who kind of had that bucket in their rookie year, who are like the, who had the biggest leaps the next year, and like there are some like crazy outliers like Victor Cruz and Antonio Brown, and I I think that would obviously be very. Um, I'll take it if Sky develops into that, but that seems kind of out there. But one comparison I kind of came back to was Randall Cobb. And honestly, like their career trajectories are kind of similar. Like as rookies, they were both kind of stashed on the bench because there was like a bunch of veterans above them. Like Green Bay had like Jordy Nelson and Donald Driver and Greg Jennings. The Chiefs had, you know, Travis Kelsey, Juju, all those guys. But then that next year, a lot of those guys weren't around because of injury, because of leaving or whatever. And then they kind of stepped up and, I think Ronald Cobb had like 900 yards and like eight or nine touchdowns. And to me, like if Sky Moore has that year this year, that's a fantastic year. I think that's plenty. of I would take Chiefs... that every day. Oh yeah. Me. That'd be a great year yeah. for Sky. That's, that's like a very massive leap, but it seems realistic. I, I'm really excited for him. I, I know we, he didn't get featured a lot in the preseason, but I think that's almost intentional. I don't think the Chiefs want to put too much out there for defenses to kind of see before the season starts. But I honestly think next week he's going to get a lot of targets because he knows the offense. He's got the most talent of anyone, maybe not the most talent, but he's got the best combination of experience and talent on the roster for the chiefs right now at wide receiver. So I think they're going to feature him often. And I'm really excited to see can, like, can he swim or is he going to sink in this bigger opportunity?
3: And to your point, Nick with Travis Kelsey, with Patrick Mahomes, with Andy Reed, if this organization has sky Moore, a second round wide receiver, where she writes, a second round wide receiver, Justin Ross, should have been a first round wide receiver if it wasn't for injuries. And Kadarius Tony, a, a first round wide receiver. If they can't make one of those four guys work, then someone needs to start picking wide receivers besides the current staff. You know, and I, all those things, those are just so many good positive things for a wide receiver to develop that I feel confident that one of those guys is going to come out of here. We've seen the Chiefs literally feed Rasheed Rice the ball during the preseason. What does that mean? I don't know. It, it might mean something. It might mean nothing, but they've made a concerted effort to get the ball into his hands consistently. I think, I think the best news here, like if we're talking about from the preseason, at the wide receiver position. It's that they made the wide receiver room Kadarius Tony proof before, like it, when you had Juju, when you had MVS, KT came in, he came out, he did his thing. It was okay. Cause they had enough bodies, but the way the wide receiver room felt when they were going into this year, you were relying on Kadarius Tony to be healthy. Now, if he's in, it feels like an added, you know, power up. It's like when you get that little star in a Mario Kart and you go really fast. It's like it's like a little added bonus, but you don't get to keep it all the time because you know he'll be injured again. But um, when he's there, it, it's going to be nice. They've made it KT proof.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see though. Really, I mean, I know he's been the the training camp camp darling, and she's Kingdom to just been rooting for Ross. But I'm really excited to see him because although. He didn't play last year, but injury, this is still kind of from a from a mental rep standpoint, his second year in the offense. So I feel like he he knows from a terminology and, and a mental rep standpoint, a lot of what's going on out there. I think as the season, I think he'll start off slow with just packages, kind of like Brett Beach handed to certain packages. But I think he really can develop into um, that true ex-receiver that we've been missing since Sammy Watson, since, that she's been missing since Sammy Watkins has been gone.
0: All right, we'll do this again. I want to go around the horn rapid fire one more time with wide receivers. I want to know who's the, lead, who's the leading receiver on this team and if there is a wide receiver that has 1,000 yards for
2: the Chiefs this year. Uh, Sky Moore and no. I'm going to say Sky Moore and I'm going to say no. Are we talking from scrimmage or just receiving yards? Yeah, yeah, for receiving just yards. Receiving yards, uh, no, I'll go Scott Moore will be leading, but I'll go no. I think he'll fall somewhere in that 900 range, slightly short, 800 to 900.
3: I'm going to go no on 1,000 yards, I'm going to say MVS. I think that he has Ooh. the most clear-defined role here, and um, I think year two in the offense, I think he'll probably be what he's always been, which is about 600, 750 yards. He said Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mullins his quarterback his whole career, but I think that, that he has the clearest
2: path to success. If Mahomes can connect on some of those deep passes they missed mm-hmm. last year, you, you definitely yes. might be right, Bryce. Yeah. I
0: think I'm with, I think I'm with Maurice and Nate. I, I want to say Sky more, and I want to say there's not a 1,000-yard receiver. But if there is a 1,000-yard receiver, in a weird way, I don't think it's Sky or MVS. Like, if you told me there is a 1,000-yard oh, wow. receiver on this team, then I'm going to guess that a guy like Rasheed Rice or Kadarius Toney pops
3: this year. And they have a season that none of us are really expecting. And and rookie wide receivers have really kind of turned around in the NFL here. There for a long time, it was almost unheard of that rookie wide receivers came in and had early success. That first kind of group was like Mike Evans, Kelvin Benjamin. Ironically, those guys came in and had thousand yard years kind of right off the bat. But there's there's a path for it. We've seen Jamar Chase do it. Obviously, he's a, a crazy talent, but rookie wide receivers, it could happen. We may know early with Rice.
0: All right. Normally, guys, we're doing this podcast a day before a Chiefs game. But with the season opener being on Thursday, we've got a little bit of time. It doesn't feel like a true pregame, but the Chiefs are not just having their season opener on Thursday. It's the NFL season opener when they take on the Lions. The Chiefs are currently six and a half point favorites in that game. We don't know who all is going to be suiting up, but at least it'll give us a chance to see the first unit really for an extended period of time that we didn't get a chance to see during the preseason. So what are your early vibes? Let's do an early vibe check here for season opener against the lions who were sort of this plucky team with Dan Campbell and Jared Goff at quarterback. They were this under the radar team that quietly had one of the league's better offenses last year. And of course that means they are a sexy pick to potentially win their division or make another playoff push that came up just short a season ago. But how are you feeling with the chiefs opening against the lions?
1: Uh, well, if you like points, I think you're going to like this game because I think there's going to be a lot of them. Uh, I'm not worried about the offense at all. I think the offense is going to go crazy next week. Uh, I'm not – I know the Lions added some people in their secondary this year, and I expect their defense to be a little bit better, but I definitely think people are going a little bit crazy about some of the guys on their defense. I, I don't think it's that talented still. Uh, and, they like, it's a defense – don't want to dive too deep. Like, they play, like, a lot of man coverage, but I don't think they have, like, the bodies to really do it, nor the defensive line to really, like – affect the Chiefs. So I think the Chiefs will score. On the other hand, I'm not sure how well the Chiefs will stop the Lions, especially the Lions are a great running team. They run a lot of play action. They're just kind of a ruthlessly efficient offense. And I I I I'm gonna have an article coming about it soon, like what the Chiefs do if Chris Jones would come out. But that scares me because the Lions like if you're having to play like two nose tackles on the field, which is the Chiefs are going to have to do that's the way this defensive tackle room has looked they're not going to be able to rush the passer against play action very well. So Goff's going to have a lot of time. And I'm just kind of worried about how that looks immediately. But, uh, I mean, I think it'll be fun. I think it's going to be a fun game. But I'm a little bit more concerned than I was a few weeks
0: ago when I thought Chris Jones would be (laughs) playing in this game. The Vegas over under for this game is currently 53 and a half. So they tend to agree. The <laughs> That's a big number. That's a big number, but yeah, if if we're to expect that the Chiefs' offense is going to come out like they normally do. Remember the game against the Cardinals last year? It looked like a fourth preseason game with the way the offense was moving. Maurice, what's your big question for this one?
2: Um, I'm I think we'll do fine. I think the Chiefs I think the Chiefs will be fine. I think if they can get an early stop, where we, where the Chiefs can go up a couple of scores, like a, you know, ten to fourteen points, that 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 that'll make this game a lot more easier. They can make the Lions one dimensional, because Lions, if I'm not mistaken, have a couple of receivers that's going to be out right due to some some suspension. So I think that definitely helps the cause of, 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 of on week one. So I think I think the Chiefs will be fine. I think they'll cover. I think they'll they'll win by about ten is what, I, what, what I'm thinking. I think it'll you know, be a high scorer, but I think eventually our offense would just be too much for him.
0: Yeah, I'm guessing Jamison Williams knew that the line for this game, 53 and a half. <laughs> He's one of those receivers, Maurice mentioning, that uh, won't be suiting up for the Lions. Price, round us out,
3: man. How are you feeling about the season opener? I feel like the Chiefs just have to go into this game and not lose this game. No team has gained more From it, guys, I'm telling you, if the Packers and Lions played at noon on that Sunday instead of Sunday night football, no one would be talking about the Lions the the way that they are. But because it was the last game that they saw and it's recency bias, all of a sudden the Lions are just this hype train. And yeah, Dan Campbell creates some really funny sound bites. And I I get it. it. It's fun to root for a team that has just been like historically bad, but Let's like rewind the clock here a little bit. A couple of years ago, like people thought they were taking Jared Goff and literally just going to eat his contract and like cut him or something. Like they thought they were just doing the NBA thing where they play so, pay someone to not play for them. Jared Goff is still Jared Goff. They are going to be down Jamison Williams, like you mentioned. So the only person that you're really afraid of in that offense is going to be Jameer Gibbs and Jamison uh, and uh, Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown. If the Chiefs can just not get carved up in the run game by Gibbs, which who they will use in the pass game as well. They've got David Montgomery who came in there. It's a great offensive line. And that is a little bit scary with the with the Chiefs' state of the defensive line here. But that defense has nothing to offer up against what the Chiefs typically do in the first, first week. Generally speaking, most teams in the first week really kind of struggle with uh, firing on all cylinders. That's part of the reason why the Chiefs play in the preseason. I expect the offense to come out hot. Um, it's a pass rush for the Lions that – kind of stunk last year and they didn't do anything to really improve that. And it, again, it, a lot, like when people start huffing and puffing about the lions, what are the first couple things to say out of their mouth? Well, in that NFC, if the lions were in the AFC, they'd be like a third or fourth place team in whatever division, pick your division, maybe the AFC South, they finish second. And then the other thing they say is, Oh, and their draft, Brian branch and Sam Laporta and Jameer Gibbs and Jack Gamble. Those players are all great. Their first game in the NFL is going to be an Arrowhead stadium as the Chiefs are dropping a banner. As long as the Chiefs cannot, you know, trip over themselves in this game, they're going to be able to expose those rookies. And, and let's also mention that the rookie players, besides the linebacker position, those are positions that are really hard to come in and be successful in your rookie year, tight end linebacker safeties, you're reading, you're reacting, you're blocked. You've got multiple jobs. So, do I think that the lions could have a better year? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they went 10 games and, you know, sneak up in the worst division in the NFL this year. But overall, I, I would say the chiefs just cannot lose this game. So I take it. You're not buying the lions this year price. I mean, again, in the NFC, in that <laughs> NFC, you know, I, I personally will I've picked the Packers to win that division. I think that they might be a French playoff team, but people have just gone on and on and on about how they think that this is the next thing. And, We've done this before, right? Kansas City, we've done this before. We've had a great roster, and we've had a Jared Goff at quarterback, and all it does is it gets you good enough to maybe host a playoff game and lose in front of everyone. You're not not winning more than two playoff games with that quarterback and that coach.
0: This is just a little teaser for you because I know it feels like it's a pregame show. We've still got a few more days before the Chiefs officially kick off their season, but the next time we get together – We'll not only be recapping that Lions game, but we'll be talking about a week two matchup as well. So we'll have a lot for you the next time on Kingdom Keys, your official pregame podcast for Arrowhead Pride, for Nate, Maurice, Price, I'm Nick. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all next week.